It's August 16th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got a special brief for you this morning that is shaping America and the world. It is day three of our series on dirty green energy, or what many in both the media and politics normally call green, clean, or renewable energy. But as we have discussed so far with solar panels on Monday and wind turbines yesterday, that's just not true. Or at least there is a whole lot more to the green story. Well, today we pivot to batteries. Yeah, these are the things that help capture the power that was created by those solar panels and the wind turbines. Well, that is when the sun is out and the wind happens to be blowing. But here's the deal. These batteries, ladies and gentlemen, they're dirty. In fact, so dirty with so many issues and concerns that we actually have to split it into two parts. Today, we will tackle the minerals inside of these batteries, and tomorrow, we'll talk about the process of manufacturing these batteries. And remember, my friends, the point of this entire series is to hold this renewable industry to the same standards and scrutiny as we do oil, gas, and coal. It's not just a poke fun at these folks in the green world. Ladies and gentlemen, it is fundamentally to understand that all forms of energy have costs. And we should be brutally honest about that with everything, including this so-called green stuff as well. With that, let's get started. And let's begin with a thought experiment. I want us to imagine that we are sitting in our backyards or maybe overlooking the courtyard in our condo building. And with our wrenches in hand, we are looking out there at a very big battery. And this battery is so important because without it, Solar and wind farms are dead on arrival. And the reason, of course, is, as listeners know, the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. But when it does, these batteries can soak up the energy and distribute it, at least for a few hours at night or a few hours on a windless day. Now, I shouldn't forget, of course, that these batteries also power electric vehicles. Another pretty important part of the renewable revolution. We'll talk more about those things on Friday. But for now, let's imagine that we start to take apart that battery. We first start to see the bits and pieces. We'll hear words or things like anodes and cathodes when we start talking to the scientists who put these things together. But actually, we need to go deeper beyond just the anodes and cathodes and the big pieces. We need to get smaller all the way down to the very important and distinct minerals that those are made of. So... What kind of minerals are we going to talk about and find in these anodes and cathodes? Well, as it turns out, it all depends. And to help us think about that, let's remember the bread analogy that we used on Monday. So to refresh our memories, if we were to make white wheat or sourdough bread, we are going to need different kinds of ingredients. But thinking on it a bit more, why do we even need those different types of bread? Well, of course, we all have different interests and tastes. Maybe a spouse likes the wheat and the kids like the white and, well, Brian, he loves the sourdough. Well, batteries are a lot like that, with different ingredients making different kinds of batteries for different uses. The one that you're most probably familiar with is a lead-acid battery. 
That is the key ingredient that involves lead, as you would expect. And it's great for cheap, pretty modest uses like your gas-powered car. And that is why this kind of battery has been around for over 100 years. Well, in about 1980, an American physicist created a new type of battery involving lithium ions. It was a great invention because it involved a new ingredient, lithium, and that allowed for a battery that had high voltage, which is quite important, and it was in the most compact and lightest of forms. In other words, these lithium ion batteries offered a sort of big electric punch with a fairly small light fist. But kind of like with bread, you can combine that core lithium ingredient with other minerals called transition metals, and that'll help it do different things. Although instead of white wheat and sourdough bread, right, these different kinds of batteries, well, they come in different chemistries that can say charge faster or slower or last a little bit longer or cost a lot less. And here's a big one. Some batteries in their chemistries are more prone to blow up and burn very hot, while others are less combustible. Well, whatever the mix that you are looking for in this lithium ion battery, these transition metals, they include things like cobalt, nickel, manganese, and iron. All right, well, since 1980, scientists and com uh, companies out there have been working on trying to come up with something new beyond these lithium ion batteries and these transition metals. They're trying to find a new chemistry that does more with less side effects, as it were. Right? There's one battery chemistry that uh, folks are looking at that involves zinc. Another one involves sodium, you know, like table salt. And the big one, the one that would change the world of batteries forever, it's called a solid state battery. But all those potential innovations aside, for now, the battery of today is largely the one that looks pretty similar to the 1980s, that lithium ion battery with those transition materials, including iron phosphate, which is the most common, but also cobalt and nickel. Those are widely used as well. All right, so that is the background with all these ingredients and such. And it's very important to understand as we are about to get into some very dirty green problems. So let's start with a pretty obvious question. Where do these minerals come from? Well, obviously the earth. And that means that we have to get them out of the ground. Yeah, mining. And by simple reasoning, we know that the mining process is a dirty one. And just for fun, let's imagine that we are watching the birth of these minerals and we're standing at the edge of a big open pit mine. Right, first, we are going to see, well, some interesting power lines. And that's because we need a massive amount of electricity to mine, to operate all the equipment. And that stuff, that electricity, normally comes from coal or natural gas. Next, you need some really big earth-moving equipment, which, of course, is powered by diesel. Third, as this stuff of digging and crunching and moving of all these minerals and rocks and such is going on, there are pollutants that can be released into the air or runoff water that otherwise would have been buried in the ground. That causes all sorts of pollution. In other words, friends, we are off to a pretty dirty start for these green batteries. Now, once you get this stuff out of the ground, you have to transport it to a refinery to remove the impurities and make it ready for further manufacturing. And that transportation of all those minerals, that is almost exclusively done by rail which in turn is mostly powered by diesel or coal. 
So finally, as we think about our thought experiment, we're standing at the edge of that open pit mine. We're watching the train take away our minerals. Well, we got to admit something. Mines are not exactly pretty to look at. And that is why most of us would rather not. <laughs> Certainly not live next to one. Just like, to be fair, an oil rig or a coal mine. So the point, ladies and gentlemen, is this. Batteries that we need for solar and wind farms or electric vehicles, they are born dirty. And they rely on oil and gas to get them out of the ground. But I'll tell you, as we step back and think about this, it begs a very important question. How much mining are we going to have to do for all these batteries? Because that's really important as we think about the ultimate costs of this dirty green revolution. Costs that might be included in workers' lives or the environment. Well, I'll tell you, hold your hats on this as we talk about it, because it is one of the most dirty facts that we are going to talk about all week. So let's just talk about car and truck batteries just for a moment. So Ford's electric pickup truck, it's called the F-150 Lightning, that battery weighs around 1,800 pounds. The GMC Hummer EV, that battery weighs over 2,900 pounds. Tesla, their car batteries, well, they range from, say, 1,200 pounds to well over 2,000 pounds. Interestingly, their semi-truck batteries, whew, those push 10,000 pounds or more. So compare all of that to gas-powered cars and those batteries. They weigh around 40 pounds. So take those numbers and consider this. The United States has about 280 million vehicles. Globally, there are over a billion cars, 60 million made each year, actually. And so all of them, well, they have to be replaced to stop climate change, right? In fact, we know that is why states like California are banning the sale of gas-powered cars and only allowing the sale of electric vehicles. So what this means, folks, is that for just vehicle batteries alone, putting aside the industrial batteries for solar and wind projects and putting aside all the transmission lines that we need to carry the electricity, well, the amount of mining needed for this dirty green revolution, holy smokes, it's not just massive, it's mind-boggling. In fact, depending on the variables involved, it's hard to even nail it down, but let's try. So for lithium, the International Energy Agency says that demand will be up to 40 times its current levels. Cobalt, up another 20 times. Nickel, up about 20 times as well. And something called graphite, that is up 20 times as well. The point, ladies and gentlemen, is that this energy revolution, it is also a mining revolution. And to just underline the point, consider this. The best estimates are that we are going to need to at least double production for at least 10 types of mining to get to Joe Biden's net zero emissions goal by the year 2050. But uh, there's one problem. There actually are not enough minerals on planet Earth to get us there. Quite literally, ladies and gentlemen, there is not enough proven reserves of all the minerals that we need to satisfy the net zero goals of this dirty green revolution. It is truly impossible then to mine our way out of this problem. In fact, by the way, this was confirmed by a fact-checking group when it was said by a man named Alex Epstein, who does a lot of great work on this issue. I'll tell you, for subscribers, definitely click on the source link to read about that fact-check. But regardless, folks, keep this in mind, right? The impossibility of even trying to get all the minerals out of the ground the next time that 
somebody tells you that this energy revolution is green or clean because actually it's neither. In fact, it's not even possible. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For my paid subscribers, make sure you go to writereport.substack.com and get the source links for all the information that I'll share today and all this week. I think it'll be pretty good to send to family and friends as you're talking about dirty green energy. For folks who aren't subscribers, well, you can be. Just head to writereport.substack.com, sign up, make sure you choose the monthly or yearly option that is best for you and your budget. In the meantime, enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners, remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Folks, if you're looking to diversify your investments, I have something for you to consider. It's called Masterworks. And here's what they do. They purchase modern art by famous creators like Picasso, and then they qualify it with the SEC and sell shares of that art to investors like us. Now, eventually they sell that piece of art. It's called an exit. And then investors like you and me, we get a portion of the sale. And their record, it's pretty darn impressive. Last month, they had exits with returns of 10 to 35%. Now, this concept is relatively new, but not to the 780,000 members who have joined and invested. Meanwhile, Masterworks has also been written up in Forbes and Financial Times. And I'll tell you, read those articles because I did, and I decided that for my long-term investments, Masterworks fits. Now, will that be the case for you? Well, here's how you decide. Go to masterworks.art slash write report and you will get priority access for a personal interview with the staff and they will help you decide if Masterworks fits for you. So again, go to masterworks.art slash write report. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And as you sign up for that interview, you can also read through their disclosures. Good stuff there at masterworks.art slash CD. So all in all, folks, I think that you will be impressed with Masterworks and what they offer to investors. So again, go to masterworks.art slash write report, because at the end of the day, I think you will be glad you did. Welcome back to the Right Report. Let's continue, shall we, with our special brief this morning on dirty green energy, focusing today on the mining necessary for the batteries that power this energy revolution. Well, we are now pretty humbled, aren't we, by the fact that there aren't enough minerals on planet Earth to accomplish the net zero climate goals of people like Joe Biden. But like it or not, this energy revolution will continue. And that is because there are 369 billion reasons and counting for that. That is the price tag of Mr. Biden's green energy revolution that he kicked off one year ago today by signing that Inflation Reduction Act, which, of course, had nothing to do with inflation. But nevertheless, for this segment, we are going to focus on three key minerals that go into some of the most popular batteries for Mr. Biden's revolution. And those are lithium, cobalt and nickel. So let's start with lithium, because that is, frankly, the most important ingredient in virtually all modern batteries, regardless of the additional transition minerals. Now, I'll tell you, this should be a good story, actually. Right. America has a lot of this mineral. In fact, the fourth uh, largest reserves in the world, about 9.1 million tons of lithium in this country, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. In fact, we have lithium reserves in places like California, Arkansas, and North Carolina. And we should just pause here for a moment and remember that that's really important. Right? For decades, 
The United States has fought to become energy independent. And most of that fight has been about oil, Middle Eastern oil, especially trying to reduce our dependence on that region and their oil. So it would make sense that when we build out any new energy supply, it ought to be available right here in the United States. But unfortunately, it's not. And that gets to the heart of the dirty green problem. As of this morning, there is only one lithium mine operating in the United States. It's called the Silver Peak Mine out in Nevada. Now, there is another one that will likely start producing. That one is called the Thacker Pass Mine, also in Nevada. And it will probably move forward after a judge recently ruled that it could proceed despite uh, local objections. But other lithium mines and other places in America, well, they likely won't be so lucky. And that's because they are under attack by all sorts of people, environmentalists, indigenous tribe, activists. And that's all because the mines, well, they're ugly and they can pollute. And they necessarily require that we damage the environment as we dig stuff up. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, what it appears to be true is that proponents of the dirty green energy revolution, they want us to use lithium, for example, for their batteries, but they don't want us to mine lithium, at least not in their backyard. So that means that somebody else has to pay the dirty price for that lithium. And it means that somebody else gets to have control over America's supply of not only lithium, but ultimately our energy. And that's bad. Nevertheless, what it means that we should look around the world where this lithium global supply comes from. And there are two regions in the world that now have control. The first is Australia. They are the largest lithium producing country in the world, double that of their closest competitor, with actually some pretty good potential for considerable growth. But just to refresh our memories, that's still not going to be enough because the, the demand is going to be so massive. So we have to look at other places around the world to expand production too. And that takes us to South America around what is called the Atacama Desert. So if you have a map on your phone or computer or in your mind, you are going to find the Atacama in the area that straddles the countries of Chile, Argentina, and Bolivia. And taken together, these countries control more than half of the world's lithium supply, giving it the nickname of the Lithium Triangle. But we got a problem. This area is one of the most driest places on the planet. It gets about a half an inch of rain annually, although some areas of the Atacama have received no rain for over 500 years. So that presents a pretty serious problem because one of the two ways to mine lithium requires a considerable amount of water, about 500,000 gallons needed to produce a single ton. Well, based on that, you might guess that there has been a lot of fighting over water down there, a lot of fights in the region between the governments, the mining companies, local people, especially the indigenous tribes down there, about how to use that scarce amount of water. And that debate it is getting more pressing by the day, right? Current mining activities have already consumed about 65% of the region's scarce water. And that has affected people and animals alike, including some flamingos. Additionally, we should know this. Of the two ways to mine lithium, one involves the use of some toxic chemicals like hydrochloric acid. And there, my goodness, have been some horrific mining accidents involving this stuff. You might want to look into the Upper Tibet uh, disaster that happened in uh, around 2016 if you want to see the pretty horrifying visual effects of that. But the bottom line is that lithium mining is a very dirty process. 
So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the upshot on lithium. It is concentrated in Australia and South America with some, uh, well, untapped reserves in the United States if we could just do that stuff in our backyards. Let's now pivot to the second critical mineral in this dirty green revolution, and that is cobalt. And I'll tell you, if there were ever a king of the dirty green minerals, this would be it. And that is largely because where this stuff is found. As listeners might remember from previous briefs, over 70% of global supplies come from the Central African country of the Congo, or Democratic Republic of the Congo, with its capital of Kinshasa. Now, to to really understand the magnitude of this number, 70% control, I want you to consider this. The top three producers of oil in the world are the United States, Saudi Arabia, and Russia. Combined, they produce about 40% of the world's oil. The Congo, they control 70% of the world's cobalt. Woo! And I'll tell you, we have some serious dirty green problems with that. First, you should know of the 19 cobalt mines in Congo, the Chinese government or its controlled operators have 15 of them under their control through some very shady deals that were signed by a former Congolese president. Interestingly, one of those Chinese companies got a hold of a cobalt mine through efforts by Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Interesting. Regardless, the current president of Congo, he's trying to fix these shady deals, but for now, China largely retains control. And that continues the theme of other countries that we've talked about, other countries that are now in charge of America's dirty green energy supply, right? Just like the Middle East did back in the day with oil. In fact, for generations, they controlled our energy supply. And that is certainly a dirty green problem. But you know what? We are not quite done with how bad and how dirty this cobalt really is. And here's why. The majority of Congo's cobalt comes from large-scale commercial mining operations, anywhere from 70 to 90% of it. But these Chinese-led operations, they are not good for miners. The Washington Post uh, just did an expose recently on how these uh, Congolese miners, they suffer from uh, broken arms and legs, even spines. And when these poor guys go to the hospital to get patched up, Many of them end up getting fired or their medical bills rejected. Meanwhile, you should know this. I mentioned 70 to 90% are controlled by these large-scale commercial operations. Well, that leaves about 10 to 30% of Congo's cobalt coming from somewhere else. That somewhere else is called artisanal mining, which is just a fancy way of saying that local Africans grab some very rudimentary tools or just their hands and they claw away at the dirt. There's no big earth-moving equipment used. So folks, these are mostly open pit mines where the locals claw or descend into pretty rudimentary mine shafts. And as you would imagine, this haphazard practice has led to all sorts of injuries and deaths, in some cases, burying people alive. And for that risk, miners earn less than two bucks a day. And I'll tell you, even if these people make it out alive without any broken bones, They spend many years touching cobalt and breathing in cobalt dust, and that is not good. It causes things like damaged lungs and cancer. And horrifically, that is true for the 40,000 children who make up these artisanal miners. Folks, some of these kids are as young as six years old, working, of course, to help their families escape or endure poverty. 
And I'll tell you, if you want to just break your heart on this and learn more, read a book that's called Cobalt Red. Just horrifying stuff. Well, I'll tell you, it's not just uh, authors writing books that are talking about this. A lot of other people know it, too. The U.S. government has found it. In fact, in October of 2022, the U.S. Department of Labor announced that the world's cobalt supply is profoundly dependent on child labor. And I should be fair here and note that this cobalt, it's not just going into electric vehicles. It's going into electric uh, devices of all kinds, uh, phones and computers. But the issue here is the volume. Again, we get back to the amount of material that goes into these batteries and say an electric vehicle as compared to a phone. Well, my goodness, you're talking two, three, four thousand pounds of this stuff. That is to say the total amount of material. Well, you might have some on your phone or computer, but it is nothing as compared to an electric vehicle. Now, let's be fair. Mining and battery and phone and car companies, they are all very much aware of this dirty green cobalt problem, right? The U.S. government, of course, is obviously aware as well. And everybody is trying to find better sources from other countries with better laws or recycling programs or building out U.S. cobalt supply. That seems important because we do have a little bit. In fact, some had actually hoped to purchase cobalt from the only U.S. cobalt mine, which was set to open in the state of Idaho in the last year. But that mine shut down recently, unable to compete with the cheaper Congolese and Chinese cobalt. But again, to be fair, it is possible that at some point in the future, most commercial batteries won't require cobalt. I mentioned at the top of the brief that some battery chemistries don't need cobalt at all. And it's possible that those chemistries will become more popular and cheaper and better range, less combustible. In other words, more commercially viable. And in fact, that is Tesla's hope, actually. They're banking on something called a lithium iron phosphate battery. But in the meantime, the dirty green revolution still needs cobalt, a lot of it. And ultimately, that means, ladies and gentlemen, that we will become ever more dependent on not only the Congo, but on China. And I am sorry to say that we will become ever more dependent on the 40,000 children who mine and die for their dirty green batteries. With that, folks, let's take our last break of the morning. When we come back, we are going to talk about one more mineral, and that is nickel. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, I have something good to tell you about. It's called Wacker Coffee Company. Yeah, funny name, great coffee. Although, I should not say funny name. Tim Wacker is the guy who owns this incredible coffee company, and he is as great as his coffee. He is a former United States Marine, although never really a former always United States Marine, wonderful family man. And let me tell you, he's a guy with a passion for roasting coffee. In fact, his company's motto is this, we empower coffee beans to be the best version of themselves. Yeah, now that is a guy and a Marine who is serious about his coffee. And it is seriously good. Wacker Coffee Company has six different roasts to include a decaf option for all of you crazy people, which I got to tell you, all of these roasts are worth every penny. So go to wackercoffeeco.com. That is wackercoffeeco.com and enter promo code right report and you are going to get 10% off. Ladies and gentlemen, go to wacker, that is W-A-C-K-E-R coffeeco.com. Buy this stuff. It is so good. And buy it today. 
Welcome back to The Right Report with one more mineral to tell you about before I let you go. So grab your maps, folks, because we are off to Asia to talk about nickel. And we are going to look at one country in particular for this segment, and that is Indonesia. And here's why. Indonesia is the world's top producer of nickel, which, to refresh our memories, is a critical component in many battery chemistries that power, of course, electric vehicles and store all that energy from solar and wind farms. But here's something that's interesting. Indonesia, they're not satisfied to just be the current leader of nickel production at about 30% of global supply, give or take. No, they want to be more, bigger. They have production plans that it's going to get them to 60% of the world's total market share of nickel. And as a reminder, that is not too far off from Congo and its control of cobalt. But I'll tell you, there is a seriously dirty green problem with this Indonesian nickel, and it comes from how it's mined. So let's dive into that. So there are two different approaches to getting this stuff out of the ground and refining it. One approach involves a very energy-intensive process that requires coal-fired furnaces. And that approach, ladies and gentlemen, my goodness, it has already proven to be an incredibly damaging and destructive force to both the Indonesian environment and the Indonesian people. Meanwhile, the other extraction process involves some pretty special chemical separation. It's called high-pressure acid leaching, and it requires something called sulfuric acid, which is very corrosive, very corrosive substance, and it requires great care to handle. Well, in nickel mining, once you're done using this uh, sulfuric acid to extract the nickel from the raw ore, well, you got to do something with that acid. And that means that it either goes into tailing ponds or you do something called dry it and stack it. And here's why we should talk about and care about both of these ways forward. So if Indonesia puts all that chemical slurry into tailing ponds, well, that's bad because the region is prone to earthquakes at magnitudes of 7.0 or higher on the Richter scale. You might remember the pretty horrific earthquake and the resulting tsunami back in 2004. My goodness, that killed over 200,000 people in Indonesia. So that means that the country will probably avoid an ever-expanding number of tailing ponds, I hope, and instead try to dry it and stack it. So on this one, as the name suggests, well, you, you dry the acid out and then you pile it up, uh, well, on as much land as you need to. But here's the deal. Given the production numbers that Indonesia is looking at for increasing their nickel production, we're talking about a land requirement that is many, many thousands of acres. And that means that the government there is going to have to cut down rainforests. Yeah, on all those thousands of islands that make up Indonesia. And by the way, when I say that they will increase their production or cut down their rainforests, I don't just mean the Indonesian government. The Chinese government and their companies, they will be in the background doing it for them. And that's because the communists have locked up most of the nickel mines in Indonesia through either contracts or their technology that uses that sulfuric acid. So that's, uh, that's great. And by the way, speaking of countries having control over this nickel, we should talk about this. Indonesia's government has proposed to other nickel producing countries that they want to form a cartel kind of like OPEC for oil, but for nickel. So the idea would be to, to uh, control the supply and the price of nickel and obviously the profit. And if done right, that nickel cartel would make producers like Indonesia incredibly rich 
and give them considerable power on the global stage. All right, well, will that nickel cartel come to pass? I don't know. But there is one country that seems very interested, and that country is Russia, because they are the world's third largest producer of nickel. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, is there any good news about this nickel stuff? Well, a little bit. So as with other minerals, companies and governments all around the world are very much aware of this dirty nickel problem. Canada, for instance, they are a major supplier of nickel, and they're tinkering with the process to make it a little bit cleaner. Uh, The French territory, that's called New Caledonia, they have a ton of nickel, and they're working on making it cleaner too. But the bottom line is it's never going to be truly clean or green. It's mining, and it involves scraping things like rainforests and other nature off the ground and digging for as much nickel as you possibly can. And that's been the theme of the morning, hasn't it? Whether it be lithium or cobalt or nickel or any other mineral for that matter, it all involves a cost. So stepping back to our first thought experiment that was in our yards or our condo complexes, Maybe we don't see the cost as we are using our wrenches and taking apart that battery, looking at the bits and pieces of cathodes and anodes. But the cost is there, isn't it? You just got to look and have an interest in being honest about what you see. And that, folks, concludes this morning's presentation of the facts and data on the dirty green truth of batteries, part one that took us inside of those batteries to look at the process of getting those key minerals out of the ground. Let me pivot now to some brief analysis and opinion. And I want to leave you this morning with an emphasis on the national security implications of this dirty green energy revolution. Because as a former CIA officer, that's what I see in all of this. And it often gets kind of left behind as we otherwise talk about the impact on people's lives or the environment or global weather and climate. Because here's the upshot, at least for me. America is now trading away our energy independence. Well, we have it with oil, but instead we're swapping it out for reliance on minerals in Africa, Latin America, and Asia, mostly which are controlled by China. And that is awful for lots of reasons. I want to give you just one fact here about, well, how awful this moment is. Consider it. Just three years ago, in the year 2020, the United States became a net exporter of oil for the first time since 1949. Folks, we had spent 70 years sending our men and women in uniform to places like the Middle East and other spots around the world, all to secure our petroleum supply because, well, we didn't have it here at home or we refused to extract it. But then that field of fracking, it changed all that. What we had desired for decades, energy independence, we finally got it. And now we're throwing it all away. All of that sacrifice, all of that blood, all that treasure, it's being sacrificed uh, ostensibly for climate change. Just, uh, well, never mind this fact. China pumps out more carbon dioxide than all other industrialized countries combined. And they're building two coal-fired electricity plants every week of every month of every year. In other words, all of that sacrifice 
is for nothing. Worse yet, as we discussed at the top of the brief, the climate goals will require more minerals than are even on the face of the planet. So the entire endeavor is just a folly. And I want to be very clear about what that means, what the folly really is. It's going to leave children dead in the Congo, people thirsty in the Atacama Desert, communities poisoned in Indonesia, plus rainforest getting cut down for good measure. Ah, but not any rainforest here or any virgin ground here in America, of course, not in our backyard. And that's because environmentalists and people in his party, Joe Biden's party, they want that stuff to happen abroad where we don't have to look at it. We just want to enjoy it. We just want to fire up our electric vehicles and enjoy our solar energy at night for a few hours anyway. So friends, that's the dirty truth about this dirty green energy revolution. And we need to talk about this stuff with our friends and family and policymakers. And to be fair, we can and should be pretty hopeful about different possible innovations that might help us out of this dirty green mess. Things like solid state batteries or recycling efforts at scale to avoid digging up so much dirt. But here's the deal. A strategy of hope, it's not enough here. There is just too much at stake. So we are going to keep talking about the dirty underbelly of this so-called green revolution. Because this is ultimately about you and your family and your country. And that is why we are going to keep talking about it no matter how dirty it gets. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. For my paid subscribers, I hope you enjoy all the links to all the sources that I used this morning. There is a bunch there. Hopefully it guides your conversations and reflections later today and for a long time to come. As always, I will see everybody tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.